Well, are you blessed in this new year? I tell you, I am blessed, and I've been blessed to dig in and study uh, some familiar scriptures from a, a little different angle, a little different perspective. And so we're starting a new series that I'm calling Word On, and you might wonder, what is he doing now? But I'll explain a little bit. Uh, Let me tell you where we've been. Uh, In the fall, we began to study the Sermon on the Mount. I call it the the Sermon, the Sermon of all Sermons. Uh, It's an amazing moment in Scripture when Jesus, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, it says he sat down on the mountain and he opened his mouth. And this is just an incredible moment if you think about it, because here is the Word speaking Word. Now, does it ever get any better than that? It doesn't. There's no way. The scripture says that when he was finished, the people were astonished. by what that, And that literally means blown away. They were flattened by what he had said, what he had spoken, the truth that he had brought to them. Because he had taught with an authority they had never heard. There had not been anyone, even back to the prophets, no one spoke with the kind of authority that Jesus spoke with. John was there. And one of the things that John uh, was inspired to write later, later on were these words, that the word became flesh and lived for a while among us. That's what we've been celebrating. We call it Christmas. Uh, it is incarnation. It is the coming of Jesus, our Savior, into the world, word made flesh. And now, in Matthew chapter 5, we see that word made flesh is speaking word on this mountainside. It's a fabulous place. I hope you can go there sometime. There are going to be some background pictures of it. But on the north side of the Sea of Galilee is where this took place, uh, at a place that we call Mount of Beatitudes. He began this sermon uh, with a description of what it means to live in the kingdom. What, What is it like to live in the kingdom of God? What does that look like? What are you going to look like? And he described it with these eight blessings, these eight beatitudes that we studied uh, in the fall and and looked at these uh, flourishing blessings that he spoke upon the people. You know, it must be just amazing, I, I think back on it, that the voice that spoke creation into existence was speaking and vibrating the sound waves of the air upon the people. And so, so powerful was this that it was written down and it's, and it's brought to us on the pages that we have uh, in our Bibles. Uh, he, w- he went on from those Beatitudes and he explained that our, as, as believers, followers, Christ followers, kingdom people, our fundamental engagement with the culture around us is best described as salt and light. Not a whole lot of other things, but salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. That is, you are the flavoring and the antiseptic and the preservative and the fire retardant and even the de-icer as we studied that. And Jesus is the source of light, but you are the light point in the darkness. He has ordained you to be a light point. And so as we enter a new year, we really need to think about that. How am I lighting the, the world around me, how, how is the light of Jesus shining through me? How am I flavoring and, and preserving uh, those who are around me? Jesus talked about the law. Everybody wanted to know what he thought about the law. And of course, uh, they thought of law in terms of the big ten, the ten commandments. 
but also the Torah, five books, first books of the Bible, and the 613 commands that are found in the first five books of the Bible. That's what they thought of in terms of law. And Jesus made it clear, many thought that when Messiah comes, he's going to abolish the law and set up something different. And he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. You're mistaken if you think that, but I came to fulfill it. And we're going to see how that fulfillment looks in, uh, in the next couple of chapters that are ahead. Jesus now delivers what I'm going to call the word on uh, 12 different topics. And so we're going to be in sort of a 12-week series until we get up to uh, the time of uh, Easter, Palm Sunday and Easter. But he addressed these 12 topics, anger, lust, divorce, honesty, retaliation, enemies, the needy, prayer, fasting, treasures, judging, and asking. And those are his topics in his topical series. Now, you may think, oh, I'm not all that interested in, in all of those things. But Jesus was interested in these things for you. And so that's what we want to be sure in here is that, you know, we might, if we, if we did a little survey and we said, uh, could you give us 12 topics that you would like to hear, uh, you might not include but a few of these or maybe none of them. But it really doesn't matter because Jesus, how many of you know Jesus knows what I need and he knows what you need? And so that's what he's, he's going to give. And we're going to start uh, this weekend, this evening with uh, the word on anger and what that is about. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 21. And I invite you to follow along on the screen uh, in the English Standard Version or in the Bibles that are out there uh, or your Bible at home as we consume the word in this new year. Hear the word in this new year. Jesus is continuing. He's on the hillside and he says these things. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, let's stand and let's pray. Father God, we want to hear your heart. And we want to hear your spirit that it might shape our hearts. We pray that you would open your word in this new year. As you open a new year, God, open your word to us and us to your word 
In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So Jesus is going to speak on these 12 topics. And he begins with these words. You have heard that it was said. The first six of the topics, he begins this way. He he speaks in this way. And he follows this pattern. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Now, he just told us that he didn't come to abolish anything. So it must be he's sort of opening up and explaining and applying in a deeper way these things that come from the law. Now, what was he talking about that they had heard? Jesus was actually addressing the rabbinic teachings, the things that have been said for many, many years, the traditions, the teachings of the elders, many, many layers of teachings. We talked about traditions a couple of weeks ago. And so he wasn't saying, you've heard the law. He was saying, you've heard these things. You've heard things explained. You've heard many teachings about the law. And I'm going to say to you something That may sound different, but it certainly is going to tighten things up a good bit. The people of Galilee had heard lots and lots of teachers and rabbis during their lifetimes. As I was studying this uh, this past week, it occurred to me, you know, we have heard a lot as well, haven't we? We hear all the time. There's always somebody talking, isn't there? I mean, you have to consciously shut it out or you're going to hear and it's preachers and it's teachers and it's commentators and it's evangelists and it's the tv people and it's all the media people and then all of the social media people all of those things we've heard an awful lot and we hear an awful lot from all of those places and we've heard a lot of stuff but what matters is what jesus had to say amen So that's, and that's something that we need to clear out. Every once in a while we need to say, you know, I've heard a lot. Because people will come to me and they'll say, well, I thought that was the right thing to do. Why did you think that was the right thing to do? I read it in this magazine. Well, I've got a better magazine in my church for you. (laughs) A whole lot better. And so let's listen to the word of God. And some of it stings along the way. Uh, But that's so important that we know the truth, even if it stings along the way. Part of what Jesus is going to do in these next few weeks with us is he's going to focus on the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. The letter of the law, they had gotten that down. I mean, they had refined it and refined it to exactly what the letter of the law must mean and how it's applied. And if you apply this, this is what it's going to mean in a particular situation. But in large degree, they had just lost the heart, lost the spirit of what God was trying to communicate in his word, in his precepts, in his law. He's going to talk to us about the difference between matters of the heart and the things that we act upon, the actions. There were a lot of people in the time of Jesus that they had gotten down the action stuff. They, they, had, they obeyed all the rules. I mean, Paul was one of them. He said, I obeyed all the rules. I was better than any of you, but I was lost. I did not have anything of the heart of God in me until Jesus got in my face and and we got things straightened out. So he deals with the mind and the heart as well as the flesh. And the the first sin that he's going to talk about is murder. So let's talk about that. 
The Bible word for murder is different from the word to kill, uh, both in the Hebrew language and in the Greek language and in the Aramaic language. Murder always speaks of a criminal act, uh, and it doesn't talk about agriculture, where, where, you, are, where you have animals that you're going to eat. It doesn't talk about hunting or fishing or, or acts of self-defense or war. There are other words for that. Uh, the Greek word that is used right here is phanuo, so say that with me, phanuo, and it means to intentionally kill criminally, taking of a human life for a selfish reason, not by accident, not by uh, even uh, neglect or something like that, but to intentionally uh, kill is what it means here, to murder. You've heard... Um, it's said that you should not murder and you'll be liable for judgment. It's forbidden in the sixth commandment of the, of the ten in, in the book of Exodus chapter 20. You shall not murder. Hebrew actually has seven different words for killing. You know, seven's just one of these n- numbers. It shows up again and again. Seven different words for killing. And this is one of them. It's the Hebrew ratzak. And it means to kill a human being specifically uh, for a selfish uh, uh, and criminal reason. So... Why is this uh, something that is forbidden? Uh, Human life is created in the image of God. Genesis 9 says, Whoever sheds the blood of a man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. A human life is something you can't replace. It's something you can't make. I hear people talk about it all the time. I've got family members who work on it. <laughs> you can't make a human life. And so we are forbidden from taking a human life, any human life. That is forbidden. And it's probably because of that that we think of murder as sort of the worst thing we can do. Uh, and that may be why it's at the top of the list here. It's addressed because we think of it as the worst thing that we might possibly do. It's actually not the first commandment. The first commandment forbids idolatry. Have no other gods before me. Is that more important than murder? Yeah. Because it's kind of the root of everything else. I think you could argue that murder is an expression of idolatry. Taking matters of God, God's decisions into your own hands. And uh, sometimes we call that godship, where we are exercising godship in a situation. That's what happens uh, with murder in in that kind of situation. So when we determine to do life our own way, that is a godship issue. That's an idolatry sort of an issue. And we need to make sure that we understand that. What was the first sin ever committed? It was idolatry. It was idolatry. I'm going to make myself the God that chooses what I'm going to do in the garden. And murder came later. It's in another chapter or so. It's the Cain and Abel story, but it isn't the first thing. But Jesus was concerned um, not only uh, that we manage to avoid murdering people. I mean, that's not a very high standard, is it? How was your day, honey? Well, I didn't kill anybody, so... I must be, sometimes we feel that way. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so the first commandment, you know, is idolatry, but we also want to look at this thing of murder. And what he is saying is, I'm not just concerned, God's not just concerned 
with whether you murdered somebody today, but the condition of your heart. Murder is a sin of the hands, but behind, that, behind every murder is, is hatred and is anger. So anger is at the heart of this. And that's what he's trying to get at right away. It is that anger, uh, it, it will lead to insult. <laughs> so he talks about insult. And that can even spill over into the public arena of a court setting. And none of this glorifies God. Amen? None of this is, is kingdom culture. So a question that is often asked, you know, because of the way that this is phrased, um, when he says that you're also liable for the judgment because of anger and insult, are all these sins really equal before God? Are, are all these, uh, is it just as bad if I hurl an insult at somebody as if I took my hands and, and murdered them? And the answer is, well, if undealt with, they are equal in separating you from God. Sin is sin. Are they equal in their damage? Of course not. No, certainly not. The damage from anger and insult is so much less final. And therefore, it is hopefully repairable. If you insult someone, it may really it may really sting. It may really be a dagger to them uh, emotionally. But that still can be repaired because of the love of Jesus and the reconciliation of Jesus. Uh, so anger, you know, leads to insult. <laughs> and then insult is an assassination of character. And then anger can, ins and insult can lead to murder. That's what's in the background. You know, I was thinking about this, how if, if, the world was eradicated of anger. Even if we had disagreements, if, if anger was eradicated, can you think of what a marvelous world we would live in? You know, we were flying back from Colorado and, you know, oh boy, Denver Airport, just crazy going through the TSA. And I thought, we wouldn't have to have any of this, would we? You know, if the kingdom would roll out, we need to get the kingdom rolling out just so we get rid of TSA, amen? I mean, that would be a good thing. But it's so much. Um, so as a kingdom person, Jesus is calling us to deal with the matters of the heart. Um, he's, he's calling on us. Uh, I think I'm ahead a couple of slides. The problem is they're tied together and then... Okay, as a kingdom person, uh, he wants to deal with our heart. He wants us to deal with our heart. Ask God to heal you. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I go through times when I just, I don't know why, and I have to ask myself, and we're going to talk about that. What's going on? Why am I feeling angry? Ask God to heal you, and ask God to heal your heart. Deal with your anger. Deal with your mouth and, and your posts, <laughs> all of those things. And deal with your actions. But most of all, it starts in the heart. Because if you deal with your anger, it's going to take care of so many other things that are in your life. Jesus makes this statement that's difficult. Everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Wow. Say wow with me. Yeah. Because it sounds like an impossible directive. Who is everyone? Everyone is everyone. I don't know anyone who hasn't ever been angry, right? 
So we have all sin in this way. But I want to explain to you a little bit about the Greek. How many of you want some Greek tonight? Okay. So, well, you got to really chant for it, not just these four people. All right. Greek, Greek, Greek. Okay. So I'm going to reinstate what I call the Greek geek moment. And the Greek geek moment, the word that's used here is orgizamenos. Wow, that's a, that's a mouthful. Try it with me. Orgizamenos. Uh, the, the accent is on the Z-O. Okay, let's do it again. Orgizamenos. Now, I know some of you were going to shout out and say, Excuse me, Pastor Jeff, I know. That's the present par- participle, right? And it, you would be right, okay? Okay. Uh, Uh, So let me explain what that means. It is the present participle. Listen to this. This is so cool. It indicates continued action, something that happens continually or repeatedly, or something that is in the process of happening. So it's that process of being anger, but it's being repeatedly anger and continuing in anger. That's what it's describing. It's not talking about having lost your temper and said, I'm so sorry. I apologize. It's not talking about that. At all. It's talking about everyone who is continually angry. Here's some ways that you could translate this. Everyone who continues in anger toward their brother. Everyone who repeatedly holds on to their anger. Everyone who nurses anger against another. Have you ever known someone that did that? Maybe it's yourself. You just just held on to that. You just nursed that anger. Didn't want to turn loose. I don't want to turn loose of it. I'm kind of enjoying it. (laughs) Everyone who makes a habit of anger. Well, that's just the way I am. I I just just do that. It's because of what country I'm descended from. Or something like that. Or the color of my hair. All that stuff. I just make a habit of anger. This is not a flash of anger followed by an apology. Is angry. It, It could refer to somebody who has made it their identity. Have you ever known someone that was just an angry person? You say, well, they're angry about this. And it's like, well, that's just today. <laughs> they're angry about that. They're, it's just, it changes day to day. What they're angry, they're just an angry person. Some even kind of pride themselves in that. So let's ask the question again, is anger a sin? Anger is actually just an emotional response to a situation or a threat. And we really have little choice about the initial response. Let me just explain to you. I, I, I read my Bible and I pray and I worship and I sing songs and I listen to the right stuff in the car. But every once in a while something happens and the anger response is there. If, if I'm out in my front yard with my grandchildren and you come down the street at 60 miles an hour in our neighborhood, there's something inside of me that you know, just is riled up. The question is, what do I do with that? If I go and jump in my car and chase you down with intention to run you off the road, then that's not a good response. Amen? Yeah. There's a temptation there. (laughs) We have a choice about what we do with our anger. And that's what a lot of the Bible talks about. Anger itself is not a sin. It's It's not something that you mostly can even control What you do with your anger can be a sin. Ephesians chapter 4 says it this way. Be angry and do not sin. Two different things. Anger and sin. And how do you do that? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't don't let 
Don't let it carry on. Don't nurse it along. Don't hang on to it. Don't uh, continue in it. And, and in doing so, give no opportunity to the devil. It's clear that, that you can experience anger and yet choose not to sin if you deal with it quickly. Anger is a primary entry point for the devil. The devil gets in there. And especially if you hang on to it, someone said it this way, today's anger is not the problem, it's yesterday's anger. And from the day before, it keeps building up and it tends to snowball. That's where the danger zone is. If we ignore, fail to resolve, or excuse it as a habit. This is what Jesus was getting at. If you can deal with these heart issues, so much of the rest is just going to fall really into place. Now, where does anger come from? Anger can come from many places. It could be somebody speeding down the street, okay? Or it could be something that happened where you feel like you got uh, a raw deal at work or didn't, didn't get something that you deserve, and then you, you work through that. Um, anger is also a very common part of grief. We know that. Our pain is expressed in anger sometimes, just toward the loss itself. It's a really normal kind of response when you are grieving. But it can also be directed at other people and groups and circumstances. Sometimes we call it a free-floating grief or anger where it just comes out. And I've known people and, and ministered to people and tried to very much to help people who just had this anger response going on. And it really went back to an unresolved grief. Unresolved grief, it, it can float around for years. Anger can also originate from childhood wounds that never healed properly or injustice that we experienced in growing up. If, if you had great injustice against you again and again and again, there can be an anger that then needs to be dealt with. And that may mean talking to someone. It may mean uh, counseling or finding some constructive expression of our anger, you know. One of the things we always point out is that the organization Mothers Against Drunk Driving, it's an angry response, properly directed to change things and help things get better. But we need to deal with our anger. Ephesians 4 says it, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's a whole lot of anger words right there. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Listen to those words. Bitterness literally means poison or acridity. Today we would say toxic. Uh, get rid of the toxic stuff in your language, in your thoughts, in, in your relationships. A sourness toward a person or God or, or life in general. Wrath is an outburst of anger. Boiling over. Anger is more the settled, deep seated animosity that has built up over years. It's that continuing in anger. Clamor is crying out, you know, calling out, just complaining all the time. Uh, the NIV translates that word brawling, uh, constant focus on anger. Uh, malice is wickedness, slander, having it in for someone or bearing a grudge. Then Jesus goes on even a little further. In, in his heart surgery here, he says, whoever insults his brother, whoever allows anger to boil over into insult is liable to the council in the same sort of way. 
Calling someone rakha uh, is the word that's in, in the text, which means empty head or fool, is liable to the fire of hell. Now, I could take a poll, and I think I'd be safe. I'll bet none of you on the way to church uh, uh, got upset in traffic and yelled, Rakha! Anybody? Just, well, now you got a new one, so. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's, let's stay away from that. But what it means, empty head or, or fool, it actually mean, would translate, well, idiot or moron or one of those words, empty head or worse, <laughs> Um, that's not a kingdom response. And it's not a kingdom response to simply say, well, I didn't kill anyone today. I, I did call out of the, the window of my car a few times. But especially to people close to us, our words can wound terribly. You know, I think about sometimes when I, when I see children in a public place and they're treated in such a way and, and they're... they're Abusive words are being used, and it's so very, very difficult, and anger begins to build up about that. We need to be very, very careful about the words that we hurl and the things that we post, because that, in these days, in this world, are, are all very close. Jesus was addressing the heart, and the truth is that anger and bitterness lie at the core of most of our relational problems and societal issues. If you just think about it, you know, it seems like we almost have a whole system and media that thrives on anger and insult. And why? It's good business to keep people stirred up and, and, and hating and hurling insult at one another. That may be why the Bible has so much to say about anger. I was kind of surprised. I mean, I can't even include the many, many scriptures. Proverbs 29, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Well, I was just venting. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back, learns to hold back. Ecclesiastes 7, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Proverbs 15, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. That's a kingdom response. So another question, is there such a thing as righteous anger? We sometimes hear that, righteous indignation. Well, we know that Jesus was angry uh, without sinning. Now, it was when he encountered unbelief and hypocrisy. Those are the times that we see. The one specific time is when he was in the synagogue and they brought in this man with a shriveled hand and it was a trap and he knew it and he looked around at the people who had set it all up and he sa it says he looked at them with anger. So there's a, a time when something will righteously stir us up into anger a righteous anger is a godly reaction to sin or injustice. And I'll just confess to you that I'm usually really good at, at thinking of what I should have done or should have said after the fact. When I see someone who is treated wrongly, uh, when I see someone that is discriminated against, and then I think, I should have, I should have said something, but these things go by often far too fast. The truth is that there are times when it would, when to not be angry would be sin. 
to not be stirred with the same anger that God feels. But we have to be careful about that because much of our anger is is tinged with self-righteous anger, not righteous anger. Even if it starts in the right place, uh, we can get ourselves all tied up in it. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with our own anger? I'm going to just bring you a couple of things. And the first is to ask, why am I angry? I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself all stirred up and I I say, well, what's going on? And I have to go back and and backtrack and say, what happened today? And then there it is. And it's something that happened. And And oftentimes I had very much a part in it and I need to go back and I need to make things right. I need to to settle things and fix things. Uh, So we need to ask ourselves, is it a righteous anger or a sinful anger or a mixture somehow of both? God asked Cain the question. I love it when God asks questions. He says, why are you angry? Now, this wasn't because God didn't know. God never asks a question because he doesn't know. Could you just tell me? I, I can't figure it out. God God never is trying to figure it out and and asking you to to inform him. He wants you to figure it out. The prophet Jonah was was very angry because God had forgiven the Ninevites. He did not like that. And so God asked, uh, do you have a good reason to be angry? He asked a, a couple of times in the book of Jonah. So we need to ask ourselves those questions. What's going on? Why am I stirred up? Why am I feeling angry? Why can't I... Um, get more settled. And we may need to talk through some of those issues and deal with a grief that we have not dealt with completely. Sometimes we claim that our sinful anger was righteous, um, but many, many times it's tainted with a sinful anger. And a great deal of anger is rooted in selfishness. If we come down to it, it's because I didn't get my way and I really wanted my way. The second thing is to choose to control your anger. Now, you might say, well, I can't control my anger. Yes, you can. And I'll show you how. The book of Proverbs has over a dozen verses about controlling anger. And so the Bible wouldn't call us to that uh, were it not possible with God to do that, to control our anger. Proverbs 14, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a Hasty temper exalts folly, foolishness. Proverbs 19, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up the anger. We're actually commanded in the New Testament to put away anger and wrath. Colossians 3 says... But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You might say, well, I don't have any obscene talk. It's all obscene to God. God never commands us to do something that he will not empower us to do. Romans 8 shows us the way. Listen, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, if you're a believer, you are in the spirit. If you're not a believer, then you're not in the spirit and you don't have any resources or tools. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we need to make sure in this new year that we belong to him. 
We're commanded to put away anger and wrath. Seek to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we're, we're to, um, if we look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, among the works of the flesh are enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries and dissensions, all that anger stuff. And if we surrender to the Spirit and manifest the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, why don't you say them out loud with me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are manifestations of the Spirit if we will surrender to His Spirit. The third is actually to be reconciled to your brother. We talked about this earlier and when we talked about peacemaking, being reconciled to your brother. He says in verse 23, this is Jesus. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, just pause. If you are worshiping, that's what that's talking about. You're in worship. And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, Jesus was not focused on what you have against another person, but on what another person may have against you. And why does that pop up in worship? I mean, it's a really significant thing here. Reconciliation always starts when we realize our part in the conflict. And God brings us to that place. Matthew 7, 5, we're going to study it in another couple chapters. First, take the log out of your own eye. And you're the only person that you can change and move toward reconciliation. So why the setting of worship? He says, if you're offering your gift before the altar, that's what worship is. The word for worship means offering. That's what it means. If you come to worship without offering, you're just some kind of an observer. Now, what, what are you offering? We're, we've been doing it all night. Offering your voice, offering your talents, offering your gifts, offering your prayers, offering your heart. All of that is worship. All of that is worship. Offering your mind and your ears to engage the word of God. Right now you're worshiping. So if you come and, you are, uh, and you're bringing these gifts to God, then listen. It's a time to listen. If you're offering something, stop and listen. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, put me on trial, and know my thoughts. I'm convinced that genuine worship is the place where God gets in your face. What do I mean by that? It's where if we, if we focus on him and clear aside everything else, we're going to hear and we're not going to hear about the person uh, who hurt us and, and we feel like we... No, you already know about all that. What we're going to hear is about the person who may have something against us. Oh. I need to talk to that person. I need to get with that person. You know, I had a part in that too. I know I've been kind of claiming my self-righteousness, but, but I, I, I need to... I need to fix that somehow. Genuine worship is a place where God convicts us about things we need to deal with. And it's, it's all, it might be in a song, it might be in a scripture, it might be in some moment uh, shared. It, it, sometimes it's just in a conversation. 
God convicts me of stuff all the time. So go to that person and make things right. And you'll almost certainly hear another side of things. That's the other part of it. I didn't realize. I had no idea. You know, every time I listen to someone, I sit down and there's some kind of conflict. And I talk to a person, I realize I'm only hearing maybe half of what is going on here. Maybe. There's always so much more. There's always another sign. Amen? Is that the truth? Yes. James 1, and I think it's why James 1, uh, 19 says this. It's one of my favorites. Know this, my beloved. Let every person be quick to hear, listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Boy, that verse, why don't we say that out loud together? Verse 20, for the anger of man does not, come on, you can do better than that. Ready? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we could ever get that embedded in our culture, my goodness, how things would change. Finally, Jesus talks about the danger of public courts. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court. Get that taken care of. Don't go there because it's really bad. We really never know the potential damage of an unresolved conflict that goes on into court. We need to work things out. And anger and unforgiveness in court settings reflect nothing of the kingdom. They do not. So my question for you is this. What is 2022 going to be like in your life, your workplace, and your home? As we begin that road, what is it going to be like? Because, I don't know, for me, I I would pray, I'll pray for myself, that 2022 would be a less angry year. Oh God, how can I contribute? How can I somehow foment? How can I somehow disciple? How can I somehow uh, bring uh, that calming message that was talked about in Proverbs so that there will be less anger? In, in my life, in, in, in the parts of my life, in our community. Proverbs sixteen thirty two, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to be a man of understanding. I don't want to be mighty, but, oh God, I want to be mighty in your spirit. I want to be a kingdom person. And I pray that 2022 might be a year of kingdom living, a year of kingdom culture. And Lord, a year where more and more in in our communities, in our groups, in our small groups, in our interactions, we Spur one another on to love and good deeds, to grow in the ways you want us to grow. That we we would set aside the matters of anger and and move ahead in, in a heart of love that gives witness and testimony to the world around us. That is our prayer. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, next weekend, it's the word on lust. And by the way, I, you know, I was thinking about these 12 and I thought, you know, 
it's interesting. The one you think, oh, I think I could miss that. Don't miss it. The devil works in that. It really does, you know. So be careful uh, what you miss in, in the study of God's word because sometimes it's a thing you, th- you think you've kind of got a handle on that you say, that you discover, well, God's really going to get in my face a little bit with that. So next weekend, that's what we're going to be doing. We uh, remind you that the uh, offering is available to you in the lobby, but also uh, that's our in-person uh, folks, but also through the mail and uh, online. Uh, it's hugely helpful, especially here at the beginning of the year. Uh, it seems that we really need uh, the financial strength here as we start a new year. I invite you to stand as we get ready to go. If you are here for the first time, uh, we would love to meet you. And uh, we will be over at this table to your left where the lamp is lit. And we have a gift for you there as a welcome. Let us go forth in the name of Jesus. Let us go forth with his word in us to carry his word wherever we go. In the week that is ahead, in the year that is ahead, in the life that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.